Hello, this is Penn Gillette. If I were to actually listen to the Liberal Cube podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I could potentially enjoy it. The Libra Cube. That is a podcast we haven't heard yet. Might be good, might be terrible. The Libro Cube Podcast with host Jordan Maywood. All right, here we go. This comes to us from our good friend Jordan Maywood. You call hamburger steamed ham. Yes. Hello, welcome to the LibroCube. Uh, my name is Jordan Mayo and I am the Hockadaisical LibroCubicalist. The show that you are listening to, presumably. Although, I suppose that's a presumption, an, uh, an assumption that I could make that you are listening to this. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's a safe one. Although, uh, maybe, okay, here, hear me out here. Maybe someone took this and typed it out into a transcript. First of all, why would you do that? Who are you? You are insane, and I love you. Uh, where was I? Uh, oh yeah, starting the podcast, that's where. Uh, so it's one in which I uh, uh, spew forth all the media I have consumed, so it doesn't sit in the dusty attic of my mind, and slowly, or obviously not so slowly, Drive me insane. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, something that I have uh, somewhat recently forgot to say at the top of the show that I am remembering to say now, yay, is that the potential exists that you have not consumed some of this media yourself. So, I warn of that possibility as i do not want to spoil things for you this is a spoiler warning is what it is uh i, I think that's basically all the the, the main business that we got to get to at the top of the show so i will push a button that will get us started like this Monologue. Today's movie monologue sponsor is FSM Pasta Sauce. Thank you for that sponsorship. I feel like I keep hitting my mic or mic if you prefer. Uh, movie the first, The Nightmare Before Xmas. Oh, disappointing. Uh, okay, so this falls under several categories of movies. Um, probably first and foremost is uh, a, a very rare one for me, especially if you've listened to this uh, a podcast for 556 episodes. Uh, movies that most people have seen that I have not seen. Uh, it's an odd category and there's not too many movies in it I feel like but uh, this was definitely one of them and uh, further even sort of a cherry on top of that category is the fact that I know this movie is some people's favorite movie like if if you were to ask people what's your favorite movie uh, the possibility of them saying the nightmare before Christmas that possibility exists Uh, I've heard people say it in life Uh, so those sort of two things combined and the fact that it was between Halloween and 
Xmas, uh, <laughs> I decided, you know, when when is there a better time to uh, finally watch this thing? Now, obviously, it's it's, it's aimed a little more at uh, uh, children, but, uh, you know, that never really puts me off too much. I'll, I'll watch a kid's movie. Why not? Uh, uh, Jack Skellington, king of Halloween Town, discovers Christmas Town, but his attempts to bring Christmas to his home cause confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by Tim Burton. This is definitely a Tim Burton joint. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to pussyfoot around, which is a disgusting saying when you really picture what that word is. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I didn't like it. I, uh, I, I turned it off, uh, after maybe a half hour or less. Um, it, it's just, I didn't realize, and I don't know, like, uh, I, I knew there was going to be songs and singing in it. I just didn't realize the degree with which there would be songs and singing. Um, and it, it, this is a musical. Yeah. Like, uh, the Imdis is animation, family, fantasy. Yeah. Those are, those are cool things that I would enjoy. Uh, in a movie, but they should also add musical in there. And I've tried to enjoy musicals in the past. I, I think the last one was the producers. It, it's just, uh, it, I, I don't like them. <laughs> so this is no fault of the movie. Uh, it, it is a, a beautiful and interesting to behold movie. Uh, the songs themselves that I did listen to were fine. Not really my cup of tea necessarily in terms of music. And uh, I, I just knew I wouldn't be able to watch this full thing and get enjoyment. It, it, it just wasn't my cup of tea. So I am sorry to say that to all you people who love this movie for some reason. I guess you like musicals if you like this movie. Is that safe to assume or presume? <sighs> Moving on to a movie that uh, uh, took some convincing to, uh, I think I mentioned this last episode, took some convincing to get the missus to watch. Uh, had to, uh, well, I say had to, but uh, she said uh, she wanted to watch uh, Mad Max Fury Road. And I said, uh, let's watch Thunderdome. She said no, so we watched Fury Road. And I said, okay, but we have to watch Thunderdome next weekend. And with some reluctance, uh, <laughs> I got her to do so. I th she didn't dislike it. And um, uh, one of the things I sold her uh, on it was, well, well, two main things. Tina Turner, that sold her a little bit. And the fact that there's a bunch of weird kids in it. <laughs> further, further sales. Uh, if you haven't seen, uh, this is from 1985, after being exiled from the most advanced town in post-apocalyptic Australia, a drifter travels with a group of abandoned children to rebel against the town's queen. Uh, one thing I remember the missus saying uh, when she saw the, the titular <laughs> Thunderdome is just, what, that's the Thunderdome? I, I, I guess the fact that, <clears throat> and, and I kind of assume this from a lot of people, uh, despite not having seen the movie, um, she had heard the phrase Thunderdome before. Like, it, it's just something in the zeitgeist that even if you have never heard of Mad Max, even if you've never seen this movie, uh, somehow, some way, 
uh, you have heard the word Thunderdome used in a sentence and maybe uh, picked up on what it meant through context clues. But uh, when she actually saw what it actually looked like, she's like, what, that's it? <laughs> uh, so that, that was kind of funny. Because, uh, yeah, I guess it's it's not exactly like there's no thunder. There's no lightning. It, it's just sort of a almost looks like scaffolding. <clears throat> Excuse me. Regardless of the apparent disappointment at the visual of the uh, Thunderdome, uh, this movie, I, I, I don't know if it's my favorite Mad Max movie. Might be. It's, it's, it's Tina Turner, Master Blaster you got in there. Lots of good stuff. You, you got your, your, your train fight, train chase thing. Yeah, it's got everything you want in a Mad Max movie as far as I'm concerned, and uh, I can easily give it a 5 out of 5. Oh, yeah. I guess for Nightmare Before Christmas, do I give it a 1? Yeah. The fact that I have to, ha didn't have to, but chose to turn it off means it gets a 1. Ooh, that's going to hurt. Uh, moving on to, from 2020, The Fandom. Hmm. The fandom drives headfirst into the imaginative world of furries, fans of the anthropomorphic arts. Using archival footage, this documentary traces the history of fandom of the fandom. Well, yeah, what is it called? There's plenty of fandoms. I wonder why it gets the the, the treatment. Uh, from its roots in the 1970s to the global community it is today. Now, I will fully admit... There was probably a time in my life, maybe even not so long ago, where I would have uh, watched this and uh, for 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 the express purpose of making fun of those who take play who take part in uh, freedom. Uh, but uh, this is actually a, like a, a very heartwarming, sort of touching documentary, um, and uh, walked away from it uh, understanding these people, uh, these people, <laughs> understanding people who take part in this uh, the, this this thing a little better. And uh, 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 you know, there, there there's some good, th like with any fandom, there's some good, and you know, there's a potentially some bad as well. But seemed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. It seemed to uh, uh, have brought more good into the world than bad. Mm, yeah, and, and, and saying that, you know, what more could you ask for, really? Really? Uh, Rating-wise, I think I'll go a solid four. Yeah, just a well-done documentary that uh, made me change the way I uh, thought of things. So, you know, probably four plus. Yeah, verging on five. Really, I uh, would recommend it. Uh, there is some interesting people in it, <laughs> I will say. People who uh, take part in, uh, in furrydom. Uh, moving on from 1982, uh, I think why I watched this is because uh, this is called The Last Unicorn. Uh, and I think why I watched this was because having been let down by uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, I, I wanted sort of something of the the an older era uh, sort of a to to try to find something not similar necessarily but uh, you know fantasy animation and that sort of idea and this also has the strange category which this has come up infrequently as well of uh uh, uh VHS covers <laughs> that I remember sort of very strongly 
uh, from when I was a child. Uh, Dark Crystal was definitely one. Uh, this one was one. Sort of, sort of movies that I remember seeing as a child in the video store with my parents, you know, toddling around. Uh, uh, saying, uh, can we, can we get this one? Can we get this one? Can we get this one? And sort of repeatedly asking, uh, I have a feeling that happened with movies like this, Dark Crystal. What are some other, I'll tell you what, audience participation, which I haven't attempted to do in a very, very long time. If there is movies, you movie covers specifically that you recall seeing as a child that are still sort of ingrained in your mind to the to this day uh let me know what they are to uh the places you can do so in the closing credits hey there a brave unicorn and a magician fight an evil who is fight an evil king who is obsessed with attempting to capture the world's unicorns as you do actually so got some big names in this uh mia farrow is the unicorn alan arkin jeff bridges robert klein angela lansbury christopher lee man <clears throat> um yeah it wasn't that good <laughs> to be honest at least I, I i didn't much care for it um rating wise i think i'd go like a two to be honest uh just wasn't up my alley i thought it was going to be something else uh also there was <laughs> there was some musical numbers in it uh yeah so that's uh kind of uh this uh, maybe maybe that's why i i'm bringing the rating down to compared to what i normally would it's just the 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 musical uh, i already felt let down from nightmare before christmas and then i watched this not expecting music and get tricked again uh, <clears throat> i think this might also fall into the category of uh, sort of people's favorite movie from sort of back in the day as as children uh moving on to something totally different from a, a unicorny movie a house of a thousand corpses oh from 20 uh, 2003 from 2003 if you prefer saying it the weird way and i hope you do uh written uh, directed by rob zombie i don't know if this is his first movie let me just open his imda i think it, if it's not his first it's among his first movies and it's got all these uh weird people in it <laughs> that and uh that end up in uh, uh some of his later films as well uh these just really really weird Okay, so let me see. Director. Uh, 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 so Rob Zombie, Rob Zombie. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's his first movie. Yeah, it is his first movie. Okay. He directed some things before, but there were video shorts or like music videos, I think. Something like that. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, so if you haven't seen any Rob Zombie movies, this is, wow. <laughs> they are they're something else. Uh, the Mrs. actually is a big fan of them. Uh, and I enjoy them as well, just because they're freaking weird and bloody and gory and, and strange and creepy. Um, but not, not scary. Yeah. I, I don't think I would necessarily say they are scary movies, despite the fact they are definitely in the horror genre. Um, this probably compared to some of the later ones, uh, has more of a horror f uh, movie feel just in terms of, a a little more, uh, normal in terms of what's happening. Well, let me read the MDA. Uh, two young couples traveling across the backwoods of Texas. Mm-hmm. 
uh, searching for urban legends of murder, end up as prisoners of a bizarre and sadistic backwater family of serial killers. Very uh, reminiscent, has a vibe to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, especially some of the later ones where those got weird. Not that they weren't always weird, but they got real weird. When you get, uh, what the hell is that guy's name on it? Uh, she played a sheriff. Anyways, uh, rating wise, I think I'll go like a solid four plus. Uh, this is a, I've definitely seen this once or twice before. Actually had a copy at one point that I lent someone and they never gave it back. So fuck you for doing that. Moving on to <laughs> Pastafari. I, colon, Pastafari, no, I, Pastafari, colon, A Flying Spaghetti Monster Story. Oh, this is a documentary. Uh, it is available for your viewing pleasure on Netflix. At least it is in Canada. Uh, it is a documentary film about the world's fastest glowing religion, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Ramen. <laughs> Instead of amen, they say ramen. Uh, so if you're unfamiliar with uh, the Flying Spaghetti Monster, uh, it is, like all religions, uh, made up <laughs> um, <laughs> for the purposes of... Well, I, I suppose that's a sort of nebulous way of... Uh, could mean many things, but uh, originally it was sort of to demonstrate the ridiculousness of organized religion. Yeah, okay, that's that, that's sort of a fair way to think about it on some levels. It's maybe become more than that. Uh, it, it has brought people together. Um, it's probably, I would almost assume, done more good than harm. Uh, which, when you compare it to other religions, uh, I would say the inverse is true. So, I suppose you can kind of tell where I'm coming at it uh, from watching this movie. It's only an hour long, which I didn't re realize when I uh, when I when I put it in. But uh, well done. Uh, and if you have interest in the subject, uh, this definitely will uh, will fill that need for you, rating wise. Uh, I'm just gonna go like a three point nine. Seven five doesn't quite hit that four for me, um, but it is good and and uh, you know get get learnt about the flying spaghetti monster, uh, more specifically for the reasons that it will potentially uh, inform you on other religious matters and sort of open your mind to different things in that area, which is important. Television talk. Today's television talk sponsor is Moon Pies. Thank you for that sponsorship. Is a moon pie? You know what? I'm just gonna Google because I think a moon pie in Canada might be called a Joe Louie moon pie. I could be wrong though. Moon pie. Yeah, looks pretty much like one. So we have something in Canada called Joe Louie. Uh, Moon Pie versus Joe Louie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like uh, 
Joe Louis, a.k.a. Chocolate Moon Pies. Okay, so that makes sense. I don't know why it's, uh, maybe that's an old name, Moon Pie. Um, I literally had one uh, for breakfast. Yeah, not the most healthy breakfast, I will admit, but pretty delicious. Uh, we're talking you know, television, of course, as this is the television talk segment, but specifically the television program Moonbase 8. Oh... Uh, this is a Showtime show uh, available on Crave, if you are in Canada. Uh, Fred Armerson, Tim Heidecker, and John C. Riley star in this new comedy series as... Well, this is a bad IMDA because when it's not new, that will not make sense. A uh, new comedy series as three astronauts trying to qualify for their first lunar mission. They encounter obstacles along the way, including loneliness, self-doubt, and incompetence yes definitely maybe underline that incompetence there because of the three of them none of them <laughs> seem particularly competent maybe fred armison has bouts of uh, of intelligence but uh, you know what's interesting about his character in in this and i love fred armison uh and, and i think this role is very very suited to him in that i can't tell if he is like a super smart genius guy or very dumb, <laughs> like it, it, it's almost, uh, th there's moments where you think he is dumb and, um, uh, uh, people sort of show him up in terms of knowledge. Yeah. I, I think we do see that a few times, which leans towards the possibility of him being dumb, but then uh, he like worked for MIT uh, or, or went to MIT or something. I don't know. And, and there is moments definitely compared to the other two. He's smarter. I, I, I think that's safe to say. Um, it's just, is he like a, a hidden genius? I don't know. It's, it's very, very confusing. Uh, uh this show so far up my alley that, uh, it, it just really hit all the, uh, all the sweet spots of comedy and sci-fi. Well, sci-fi they're on a fake lunar base in like uh, the desert somewhere sci-fi as that is um it's sort of nerdiness and ridiculousness and and silliness just cranked to 11 i friggin loved it easy for me to give this show a uh, five out of five which is almost one point per episode because it was only six episodes long which is uh unfortunate but uh you know it's uh, it's almost like the british model uh they have uh, in IMDb, it says TV series 2000 dash, and then it's blank, leading me to believe that potentially there will be more episodes, which would be uh, very, very cool. Uh, I hope they do make more. And uh, that's about all I got to say about Moonbase 8. Let me push another button. Conan, the librarian. Oh. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? <laughs> Banter. Today's book banter sponsor is the 2021 Toyota Aboleth. Thank you for that sponsorship. Okay, I have a sliders recap for you, which I think... Did I have another one last episode? I may have. Uh, maybe... Yeah. I think it's possible I did. So two in a row. Hey, there you go. You're welcome. If you like them. If you don't, fuck off. Uh, so this is, uh, Sliders Session 4 Recap, colon, Gehenna, which I don't know if I'm saying that right. I've never heard anyone say it out loud. It's, uh, it is a plane of existence within the, uh, sort of D&D &D multiverse. 
G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Gehenna? Sure, why not? Uh, Gonna do something a little different this episode in that, uh, or, or, or this recap I did. Um, just because uh, what I did for this session was what equates to sort of a race, um, where the whole session was was basically a race downhill. Well, the interesting thing about the plane of Gehenna uh, is the fact that it's basically a plane that exists on a 45-degree angle. <laughs> so uh, picture, uh, you know, in, instead of Earth, Earth was flat. Yeah, picture that. <laughs> and existed on a 45 degree angle. Uh, so, so basically everything, you know, if you have a ball <laughs> in the plane of Ghana, it's probably going to be rolling downhill. Uh, so yeah, uh, kind of a cool, uh, way to wrap your mind around how a, a place like that could even exist. Sort of, sort of very, very cool and interesting. Uh, so when I heard that this place existed and uh, realized that because I have a campaign that is going to every different plane, I thought, what could I do here? And the first thing that came to mind, uh, first thought, best thought, sometimes, uh, is a race, uh, a downhill race. So uh, what I did was created six, yeah, I created six different uh, vehicles uh, all with a different theme, all with different uh, uh, D&D monsters driving them. So uh, uh, once our, our, our team of adventurers pop into this plane, they got to choose which of these six that they were going to uh, commandeer because the portal home was going to open um, somewhere at the race's finish line, which is pretty convenient. <laughs> uh, so let me just, uh, I think I just wrote a little opening and then I'll yeah uh having rested from their not easy journey to Hades the team has a speedy turnaround in order to quickly continue their journey through the plains specifically this time to the plane of Gehenna which shares the similarity with the plane of air and that most things are either up or down but then but in this case it is because the entire plane seemed to exist on the side of a mountain of incalculable scale uh, at about a 45 degree angle on average a soapbox derby lovers dream come true okay so let me uh what i what i decided to do for this one instead of my normal recap where i just sort of read a recap uh i have the descriptions of the six vehicles uh and each of them has the description um ways in which it can go faster ways in which it can attack and ways in which it can defend. So, uh, the way I did the session was, uh, just put all of these on a line and then went into initiative and each turn, uh, the, the individual, uh, uh, cars, let's just call them, um, could decide whether they wanted to go fast, in which case they would move, uh, uh two spaces. Um, if they attacked, uh, they would go, or no, yeah, go fast was three spaces, uh, attack and defend were, uh, uh, two spaces. Uh, if you, uh, were attacked and were hit, uh, you would only go one space, uh, unless you were defending, in which case you would still go two, uh, and I think that's what all the rules were. So it, it, there was a bit of a strategy to decide, 
Um, could I just defend the whole time and then sort of slow and steady goes the race? Uh, maybe if no one was near me at a given moment and I had pulled ahead or behind, I should go fast. You know, there's a bit of a strategy to it. Okay, so uh, the first one was the Camaro Cobalts. So picture Camaro, but full of Cobalts. Uh, ten Cobalts, a boiling mass of Cobalts under which you see flashes of red metal and presumably a car. Uh, in order to go fast, they would just throw some Cobalts off to lighten the load. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, uh, to attack, they would throw Cobalts onto passing racers. And to defend... Uh, a kobold would uh, block whatever was sort of incoming by sacrificing themselves. So basically their main mode of doing anything was just the fact that there was a shit ton of them. So uh, we did lose some along the way, needless to say. Uh, uh, number two is a Acura... Oh, I know I'm going to say this wrong. Acariel. Acaria. It's like this uh, sort of looks like an ostrich without the long neck. Yeah. Um, so three, A-C-H-A-I-E-R-A-I. If you could pronounce that, congratulations. Uh, three, A-C-H-A-I-E-R-A-I, futuristic with clean lines, but very tall. Three wheels above each is a giant bird-like creature. So to go fast, uh, they would engage long lens long leg Flintstone drive. Uh, yeah. So basically they would just uh, stick their legs through the floorboard basically, and uh, sort of uh, uh, run along. Uh, their attack was a rotten egg catapult, which uh, uh, I just reflavored a po poison cloud. Uh, their defense was a wing wind buffet. So they would just sort of flap their wings and try to deflect any missiles uh, headed towards them, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, next one is the Winnebago Wear Rats. Eight Wear Rats, a rectangle on wheels. You can see one driver and the odd tail or snout pop out. So uh, this one was interesting as well because uh, I had sort of a, 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 an older gentleman uh, not wearing any pants uh, uh, with a younger gentleman who seemed to be baking something in the back. I don't know. There was occasional puffs of smoke. Um, some, some blue crystals. Uh, it was very, very strange. Yeah, obviously it was uh, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. But uh, in for some reason they were in the back of this thing while the race was happening. Um, that was fun too because at the end, um, through events, uh, they managed, the, 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 the adventurers managed to head back to their own plane and had some uh, what I've titled fantasy meth. Uh, so I have uh, rules for it so that I haven't told them about. And uh, if one of them take it, they're going to quickly become addicted to it, basically. Or, or assuming they fail the con save, uh, and then they'll have to sort of repeatedly get it. And then there's sort of a, effects I have come with, come up with sort of thing. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so uh, for them to go fast, uh, they would... They had inside like a, a, a rat wheel or a, a hamster wheel, I guess you would call it, that they could uh, hop onto that would make the wheels go faster. Uh, their attack was to release the toilet sludge <laughs> from the Winnebago, and their defense was tail whips. Uh, not the most original on that, but uh, what are you going to do? Oldsmobile orcs. An Oldsmobile full of orcs. 
this was the vehicle that they uh, uh, commandeered uh, just because it was closest, which uh, was a little disappointing uh, because, well, you'll see. So their method of going fast was um, using their weapons. Their method of uh, attack was with their weapons. And their method of defense was uh, likewise with their weapons. So uh, I suppose maybe it's not that bad. Uh, the fact that uh, they didn't have some of the other cool things that some of these uh, other vehicles they had. They had to rely on their own uh, wits and abilities. So that sort of made sense. Uh, okay, so uh, next is the Impala Imps. Hmm. Seven Imps. The sensible outer shell hides who knows what's on its impenetrable, impenetrable dark innards. Hmm. Uh, so their go fast method was to fire, uh, well, fire from their hands out backwards, sort of like a NOS. Uh, their attack was magic missile or eldritch blast. Uh, yeah, nothing too fancy there. Uh, their defense was uh, magical darkness, mm, which they did actually use at one point, which was kind of cool because then they couldn't be seen to uh, uh, be attacked. Uh, lastly, we have the Cadillac Cloud Giants. Two Cloud Giants. Big. Very big. One driver, one passenger. Did I mention big? Uh, go fast. They would uh, electric engine powered by called lightning strikes. Pretty cool. Uh, which they did do that a couple times. Uh, attack uh, called lightning strikes. Yep. Defense. Uh, Oh yeah, they didn't have, <laughs> yeah, uh, they didn't, they were so large compared to the other carts that they, they didn't even have defense. They would just let the hits come, uh, which I don't think they, they were sort of at the, the outer edge, although they did end up running over someone at some point. Uh, our adventurers decide to grain thieve the Oldsmobile as it was the closest and through some good tactics and lucky crit that inadvertently made Merle gargantuan, oh yeah, uh, so that two rounds he could push the car along meant that as they zoomed over the finish line in first place, they managed to snatch up the trophy and ten and the 10,000 gold piece first place prize. Uh, yeah, so I have a crit and fumble table that is sort of uh, in lore explained through the randomness of Nadraj. Um... And at one point, there's a Squirrel Folk character named Merle, if you're not following along, who was changed in size from uh, a small... Where is he tiny? No, I'm pretty sure he's small. Uh, changed in size from uh, small to gargantuan, which is like fucking the size of Godzilla, practically. So he was like running alongside. The funny thing about that was... Uh, the way the, uh, the crit was worded was like, or was it a fumble? I can't remember. Um, if you're size medium, which is what most people are, uh, you turn to size tiny for, uh, 1d4 rounds. If you're size small or smaller, uh, you change to size gargantuan. So it was interesting because we have a team made up of mostly medium, which is usually what, uh, D and D race sizes are, are medium. Um, so to ha suddenly have them, the small ones and, and, and the small one, the fucking giant one, uh, that was fun. That was a, a, a fun little twist to a, an already pretty insane session. All right. So let's push 
this button. Oh wait, did I push the right one last time? I feel like I pushed book banter when I meant to push game gabbit. Oh well. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie bit me. Internet Intercourse. I like turtles. Today's Internet Intercourse sponsor is Sticky Floors. Thank you for that sponsorship. Item the first, Cyberpunk 2077 hype and reviews. Yes, interesting. It's always fun when a, a sort of giant, hugely anticipated game comes out like this to see whatever one... Uh, how, how excited everyone is, and, and then when it's out, what the reviews are. The reviews are mixed a little bit. Um, it's interesting. Uh, apparently been a lot of issues with glitches and uh, the fact that uh, this game on consoles, uh, specifically the older versions of consoles, not looking so great. Um, it's inter uh, interesting and bad, obviously, that things like that happen. Um, but, but I also have interest in the fact that, um, I, I, I'm playing on PC and I haven't had like a single glitch. Well, uh, let me clarify that. Uh, I, I, and it looks beautiful. It looks incredible. It's one of the most beautiful games I've seen, uh, in a long time now. All that being said, I got a really souped up, uh, PC, so... I suppose you have to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, and, and I haven't had zero glitches, but the only thing I've seen, and I've seen it in my first, uh, like I just got to Act 2, uh, so it's like four or five hours, somewhere in that neighborhood, I think. Uh, the only glitches I've seen, which I have seen a few times, is just like the odd item sort of just floating in space, uh, which is kind of weird. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's strange too, like it hasn't been big items, it's been like... I don't know, like a little data pad is just sort of floating in the middle of the room or, or, or things like that. Like nothing super obvious until you walk up to it and see, wait a second, why is this floating in the middle of the room? Uh, yeah, so little things like that. Nothing game breaking. Um, but I, I've had a lot of fun so far and uh, looking forward to, as soon as I'm done recording this, hopping back in. Um, so, uh, yeah, as I say, the reviews... I don't know. Uh, do you... And then there's the fact that a lot of these things that are sort of generating negative reviews are potentially going to go away as they are patched. So then do you re-review? Uh, this didn't happen back in the day when uh, the, the game that you bought was the game that you played. Um, but ever since patches and, and downloads and things to fix games that have been released have has been a thing, it just seems like that's quite often just the status quo, that there's gonna you're going to buy a game. Uh, if you play it on the first day, the potential for issues, uh, glitches, uh, does exist. Um and people are comparing this to, which is funny, my favorite series, uh, like Fallout games, Skyrim, uh, Bethesda games that are sort of famous for these sorts of glitches. Now, with those, they're usually more famous for the, 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 the funny visual ones, not the game-breaking ones, uh, which, to be fair for this, at least in my sort of anecdotal hearing of glitches, uh, um, game-breaking ones are infrequent. 
fingers crossed for me. Uh, I am saving <laughs> fairly regularly, or at least trying to remember to, which I'm bad at. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I will say it, I will have Cyberpunk 2077 in a game cabin at some point, but uh, that'll probably be a little ways away. All right, moving on to what culture gaming? What culture gaming? Oh, yeah, shit. Uh, I was like, what the hell is that? Oh, yes. Okay, so this is interesting. Uh, I, somehow, some way, this has never sort of come up on my radar. Uh, and I'm going to blame YouTube for that. Uh, the YouTube algorithm tends to send me things I like, but I also feel like it gets stuck. Like, it, like it'll send the same channels over and over and over again. It doesn't necessarily introduce much in the way of new content. Um, so, uh, the way I found this was through Jess McDonough, um, who I've spoken of, uh, highly on this podcast before, I am sure. She is formerly of GameSpot, uh, somewhat recently, from my perspective anyway, uh, laid off from, uh, from them, uh, which, uh, I think they laid off a few people. I, I, I guess maybe video game journalism, youtube stuff. Not quite what it once was, question mark? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I kind of get that vibe late, uh, lately. So uh, she has branched out into other things, including... I don't know if she's going to be a regular on What Culture Gaming, which is a YouTube channel, or she just did a uh, video for them. Uh, regardless, uh, that's how I found What Culture Gaming, was through her posting something on her Twitter. Because, as I say, I'm a fan of hers. Uh, and, and things she does in the video gaming community are consistently good things. So, uh, uh, then I get over to this channel and like every video is so far up my alley that, uh, I'm disappointed that I'm just hopping on now. Um, it's a lot of like a top 10 lists, uh, think or top eight lists, things like that. You get some video game reviews, you got some, uh, delving into the lore of things. Uh, it's just a lot of fun video gamey stuff. Uh, with a, a sort of air of comedy to it, which is which is sort of what I need when it comes to video game stuff. Uh, so what do we, just for some examples, 20 best video games of the generation. Cool. <laughs> What's the best video game moment of 2020? Oh, that's interesting. I'm curious. What would mine be? Maybe something with uh, uh, Death Stranding. I had some cool moments in that. Um... Seven Brutally Hard Decisions Video Games Force You to Make. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, that one I did watch. Uh, ten Video Game Cutscenes That Will Still Haunt You. Oh. Got a Cyberpunk 2077 review, of course. Uh, and, and all in all, uh, definitely it was an easy subscribe for me. So I'm uh, looking forward to bringing stuff back from it in the future. Last, but not least, High and Mighty. Mm-hmm. With host John Gabris, uh-huh, talks with Drew McWheeney, uh-huh, about the theater experience. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, so they started, uh, primarily their talk of, um, what they miss of the theater experience as it doesn't really happen now. Um, the fact that, uh, theaters and their sort of current iteration don't really work in this day and age, uh, uh, make them potentially something that will go away, uh, which, uh, which is sad. And particularly to people like, uh, uh, John Gabris and Drew McQueenie, um, for myself as well, that being said, uh, I was a infrequent movie goer 
just for the reason that uh, quite often would rather watch a movie at home uh, in the comfort of my own home. Um, there is something to be said for the movie experience, particularly with certain types of movies. But like, I would never go to the movie theater to see like a like a comedy or a, a, like it lends itself more. I think maybe you could say even obviously it lends itself more to actiony type things. But uh, I did have a rule where I would see every Star Trek movie in the theater, and <laughs> same with James Bond. Uh, like like pick a franchise, and when one of those movies comes out that lends itself to the movie going experience, uh, I, I would go. But uh, you know, if that doesn't happen ever again, disappointing, yes, but there's other things that I would <laughs> be more disappointed of. Uh, as I say, I'm sort of built, as I say, as ha as I have said, I'm sort of built for quarantine life. So, um, okay, so that's how the, the talk uh, sort of started. But um, then it just got into sort of movies in general and why they love movies. And that's where it really opened up for me and uh, was just a goddamn delightful podcast that uh, I don't know uh, why this episode hits so particular. Maybe it was just sort of the mood I was in or, 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 or how well they articulated their feelings about movies and the sort of magic they're in. But uh, it was a, a, just a delightful experience of a podcast and uh, sort of reinvigorated my love of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that's how much I liked it. And, uh, like, I bring back to this internet intercourse segment uh, uh, things from the internet, podcasts I like, videos I like, but every once in a while you get something like this that uh, really just makes me appreciate uh, internet stuff, podcast stuff. And uh, I had to bring it back and mention it and hope you go listen to it because it was a much better listening experience than this piece of shit. Oh. Oh, what's this? It seems like we've got a cleanup conversation uh, sponsored by Dr. Zayas brand hair tonic. Interesting. Yeah, okay, so uh, I, I could have definitely jammed this into the movie monologue, but I uh, decided to uh, separate them uh, just because, well, you'll see why. Uh, I watched and may watch more I'm playing it by ear maybe at some point we'll see we'll see uh uh all the planets of the apes movies planets of the apes planet of the apes movies uh one of those is right um uh, and i'm talking the old ones so uh starting in 1968 the uh, sort of original charlton heston uh, uh well should i spoil hmm well if you don't know by now what happened from a movie from 1968 that has been parodied hundreds of times, I don't know what to tell you, but they travel back in time and they're on earth the whole time. What? Just ruin the movie for you. Anyways. Um, so I watched planet of the apes from 1968 and watched beneath the planet of the apes from 1970. And I watch escape from the planet of the apes from 1971. And that my friends is where the series really takes a turn when you, when you get, when you get to that one. So planet of the apes, you know, what's the good, what's the IMDb say? Uh, an astronaut 
crew an astronaut crew crash lands on a planet in the distant future where intelligent uh, okay uh, talking apes are the dominant species and humans are the oppressed and enslaved okay so it says distant future and it says on a planet so it doesn't give it away at least which would be bad who plays the girl in this uh zira dr zayas <laughs> nova linda harrison yeah she was really quite strikingly beautiful anyways um yeah, if you haven't seen this, uh, I would say it definitely falls under the category of movies that you should see just for the sake of moviedom uh, and the fact that it's just such a known classic that watch the first one. Uh, the other one's less so. <laughs> uh, I have seen these. I do remember sort of back in the day. I don't know if I like taped them off uh, the television. But I, I seem to recall having, like, a, a VHS with, like, all of these on it. Um, because, uh, it, it, like, was it a series? Were these released in theater? Especially as you get into some of the old... The, like, I think there's six of them total. And once you get Escape from the Planet of the Apes in 1971... Well, okay, let me read Beneath first. Uh, the sole survivor of an interplanetary rescue mission... mission I can't talk... Uh, searches for the only survival of the previous expedition, he discovers a planet ruled by apes and an underground city run by telepathic humans. Uh, yeah, so they're pretty creepy. The, the, the future humans. Um, and the person he's looking for, uh, is, uh, what's his name from the first one? Charlton Heston from the first one, so he's in the second one. Uh, one thing I want to say about this is that the, and this is the spoiler because I'm just going to tell you what the ending was. Uh, this movie ends with the uh, earth being destroyed. <laughs> uh, it's just like fade to black. Earth is fucking destroyed. And then the next one, uh, two of the quote unquote apes um, escape this explosion and somehow travel back in time, which I don't really get traveling forward makes a little sense because there's, you know, speed of light things that sort of can actually do that. Um, but, but backwards makes less sense. The world is shocked by the appearance of three talking chimpanzees who arrive mysteriously in a U.S. spacecraft. They become the toast of society, but one man believes them to be a threat to the human race. Yeah, so... That whole become toast of society thing is very, very strange where it's like people dressed in sort of 1970s, almost like go-go outfits and, and just weird fashions. And then there's these two, uh, um, uh, well, don't call them monkeys. I was going to say monkeys, but they don't like that. It's a slur, apparently. These two apes just sort of chilling among them and, and people not really reacting to it other than like, oh yeah, we're, we're just at this party, past the cocaine or some such. Um, so this is starting, I don't know if it's, yeah, I, I guess it pre pretty much does. So the way that apes become smart, they, they do have a logic to it. Um, they never really explain how humans become dumb, at least to my satisfaction, but this is something I love. Oh shit. This is something I love of planet 
uh, of apes lore. Okay, so let me just rate these first. Um, so, Planet of the Apes. Ooh, I don't know. Can I give it a 5 out of 5? Um, I can almost give it a 5 out of 5. It, it's maybe a little slow because it's, you know, from the 60s and movies had different pacing then. Um, but uh, it's definitely interesting. So, we'll go that as a rating. Uh, beneath the Planet of the Apes, not as good. Uh, definitely, maybe even somehow from the first one, ups the weird. Yeah, it definitely ups the weirdness, which I do appreciate. So it's, uh, you know, that's its rating. Mm-hmm. Then Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's freaking uh, just a weird premise and uh, like a three to five. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. These are hard to rate. Anyways, uh, what we're going to end with, which is me describing how uh, apes become the sort of dominant species on earth and uh, the logic quote unquote they came up with, with, which I actually like. Um, okay. So there's a disease that's basically, uh, kills off all pets like dogs and cats specifically, I think dogs and cats. So humans are like, Oh shit, we don't have any pets anymore. This is some bullshit. I like having a pet. <laughs> which, you know, I suppose that would happen. There, there, there's logic logic to that. People love their pets. Um, so uh, they replace those pets with monkeys, apes, if you will. Um, and, you know, there's sort of a logic to that. If you're going to uh, have a pet, why not have a smart one? And then a smart one that can eventually do things for you, like uh, make you a cup of tea and such. So then these pets, these pet apes, get smarter and smarter and smarter uh, as they are sort of doing tasks for the humans um, and they sort of evolve in that direction and uh, eventually uh, learn to talk. And then that's when it all falls apart uh, and, and, you know, things progress from there where they take over. Then there's, again, they not to my satisfaction ever really explain why humans don't talk in the future or how they became sort of cavemen like i didn't really get that something with a nuclear war i don't know anyways folks we did it i guess this was an episode i suppose oh god it's nice to be nice to the nice this is the end of the show a sincere thank you for listening time to plug some things and i do not mean but you can like us on Facebook. You can follow Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email jordan.maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best
best is yet to come. Live long and prosper.